Back in the win column are the Indiana Pacers after beating the Hornets. Couple standout things from this win. Pascal Siakam was great. The Pacers' defense got them a win. They held a team under 100. And I have something that I need to talk to you about that should make you optimistic about the rest of the Pacers' season. Spoiler alert, it actually already started. We'll get to all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, y'all. Hope you had a great weekend and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we have a lot to talk about. Pacers back in the win column, beating the lowly and injured Charlotte Hornets, but man, did the Pacers need it. They were fully healthy, their starting lineup was different, they held a team under 100? What? And they won. Tyrese Halliburton played just enough. Pascal Siakam was awesome. So much to dive into for the Pacers from their win in Charlotte. And then, we're going to talk about the thing that I think should be seen as the biggest point of optimism for the Pacers for the remaining two-plus months of their season. Granted, it's also a point of optimism for two teams similar to them in the standings, but we will get there when we get there. Hint, it actually started on Sunday. We will start in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Pacers wire-to-wire, mostly stress-free, win over the Charlotte Hornets, 115-99. to I already said it twice. I'm saying it again. You heard that right. 99 for the Indiana Pacers defense, yes, the Hornets are terrible. Yes, the Pacers have played other terrible teams this season and not given up less than 100 points. They did it. They held a team under 100 and won the basketball game. One of the best Pacers defensive performances of the season. Charlotte scored 13 points in the first quarter and 23 in the fourth and 31 in the second, which was not very good. But the Pacers did well in general on defense throughout the night. Not only are they playing the lowly Hornets, the Hornets did not have... LaMelo Ball or Gordon Hayward or several other somewhat talented players. But Brandon Miller was fantastic, and Miles Bridges made some nice plays. And again, they gave up 125 to that team. They've given up over 130 to the Wizards. Pacers have been kind of opponent-quality-be-danged kind of defense this year. So 99 is impressive. And really, they set the tone for this early, right? The game chart for this game, there was one stressful time in this game we'll talk about in just a second. In general, though, the Pacers set the tone for this kind of game early. They were up 9-0 to in the snap of a finger. They were up 7-0 to in like 70 seconds, like barely over a minute they were up 7-0. They were up 9-0 after two minutes, and the, finally the Hornets took a timeout at like 9-1 to or something. But that was like the entire difference of the game for most of the game. Like The Pacers were still up 9 in the mid to late fourth quarter. You know, it, that was that kind of game where that eight-point lead was significant. I guess it was 10 uh, in the mid-fourth quarter. But still, like, that start to the game was enough for the Pacers to kind of cruise the rest of the night. That was really important for them to jump out to that start, both offensively and defensively, to get things going. And so the start of the game in their defense is the story for the Pacers. They got a pretty good night from just about everybody who hit the floor for any sort of of meaningful minutes. I will start with Tyrese Halliburton, but I actually am going to start with the start of the game for the Pacers because we learned before tip-off, by God, can you believe it? Everyone was available. Miles Turner back in the lineup, Tyrese Halliburton playing and starting. Matherin was available. McConnell feeling better. They had their top everybody, right? So Kendall Brown was active. The only inactives were Shibway and, and, and um, 
Isaiah Wong, who are truly inactive. And so before we talk about any player individually standing out, that was a big thing. We hadn't seen that from this Pacers team since they traded for Pascal Siakam, a fully healthy group. Now, they've had reasons to do lots of things with their starting five in the interim because of that, right? Some guys in and out, some guys playing better and then playing bad. So what they were going to do with their starting lineup was interesting, but they finally did in this game what I thought they would do right after the trade, which is start Andrew Nemhart at the two. They've been starting Buddy Heald there. They started Mather in there against the Kings on Friday. I thought that Nemhard made the most sense all along. They need the defense in that starting five. Nemhard's offense is way less important. And yes, Heald is a fantastic offensive fit with the Siakam Halliburton duo, but he's not making anything. So he's not really an offensive fit with any group right now. If a shot starts falling again, maybe I will start pointing at different numbers. I don't need to right now. Right now, Nemhard's outplaying him and gives them skills they need in the starting five, especially next to Tyrese Halliburton. So they finally started that group. They played 16 minutes and 26 seconds, 46 points, plus 13 in 16 and a half minutes. How about that? Yes, they were playing the Hornets. <laughs> Obvious caveats abound there, but they finally went to it, and I thought that was noteworthy. And I, again, playing the Hornets, we'll see against real teams soon, but that seems like something they will stick with when healthy. And not only did that group work, Nemhard didn't make a shot like his actual shoot-the-ball offense wasn't great, but he only took threes in this whole game. He only took threes, and the rest of the starting five really gelled. Obviously, you can tell by those plus-minus numbers, but even individually, they all played pretty well. Halliburton's the starting point. Very. Th this is like only I think this is funny because I'm a CBA dork, but the minimum required minutes for it to count as one of the 65 games uh, for Tyrese Halliburton, his NBA quest is 20. He played 20 minutes and 17 seconds in this game. I think Zach Lowe said it perfectly on the low post. I'm not saying that that they're making decisions for Halberton's minutes based on the 20-minute rule, but I, I, I bet it came up <laughs> in a meeting, right? Like So, anywho, he played. He started after not starting against the Kings. I thought that was weird. He didn't play in the fourth quarter, but he didn't need to. They were up so much at times. He was awesome. Six for eight from the field, 17 points uh, in this game. So he played well in his minutes. He looked fresh. They didn't need him for the fourth quarter. I maintain that if they're going to do it with this sort of minutes distribution and they can't play him for all four quarters, the first three is the way to go. And hope you build up enough cushion to hold on and win like they did in this game. Or you figure out what other combinations and players are working so you can rely on what you know is working in the fourth. Yes, I understand the argument of you want him to close, but that's not possible with what they're going with for his minutes plan right now. And either way, he was good in his 20 minutes and 17 seconds in this game. Nemhard, despite not making a shot, only had one turnover and had three assists and defended quite well. Bryce McGowan's, who he was guarding a lot of the game, did not make a shot. Uh, Ish Smith was one for three. Lots of the guards he ended up on had tough nights. Nick, Nick Smith, uh, their first-round pick rookie, was one for eight. I could go on and on. And that's what Andrew Nemhard does. Miles Turner, double-double. 16 points, 10 boards, two assists, plus 16. Aaron Neesmith made his threes, but in particular was just awesome. I, I've got to do an Aaron Neesmith deep dive post-trade deadline because he has been fan-frickin-tastic in the year 2024. 22-8-4, plus 19. He defended pretty well on Miles Bridges. Brandon Miller had his way with some guys all night. And then Pascal Siakam, to me his second best game as a Pacer behind the Sixers game where he had the triple-double. 25 points on 20 shots. Eight rebounds, including three on the offensive end that were key to getting second-chance laps. And nine assists, leading the team in assists in a game where they are moving the ball very well. 
2589 plus 30. And that is kind of what I'm referring to when I say you figure out who's working and can work when you can't have Halberton for the fourth quarter when you structure his minutes this way. And then in the fourth quarter, let's just hypothetically say exactly what happened tonight happened, where the Pacers are up 24 in the mid-third, and then the Hornets go on a 14-0 run. So early fourth quarter, all of a sudden, uh-oh, we're only up 10. We thought we were going to cruise to victory. What do we do to solve this problem now that the score is 98-88? You immediately sub in Pascal Siakam, who came in. He actually came in when the run was uh, at 10 to zero, at 11 to zero, uh, is when he actually came into the game, and then he immediately hit a free throw, and then he immediately scored a pitback layup. Like he, that was significant to know they could turn to him, that he would have value to their team, that he could stop this run and make it so. Hey, it's a 10 point lead. Just kidding. We have Pascal Siakam on the floor. We're good to go. He was very, very important in this game in stopping that run. That was the last significant Hornets push. They had one in the early third, which was. I mean, the Pacers looked awful to start the third quarter. That was their worst stretch of play all game. But once they stabilized from that, they kicked the Hornets' butts basically for the rest of the game. And they were great all night. Defensively, that starting lineup was good. They found a new groove. Their bench unit was good enough. We'll talk about those guys in just a second. And in general, a lot to like. This is a get-right win in every way. It's the Hornets. They're not very good. Well, the Pacers did lose to them, even though they were healthy earlier in the season, but it did because of the starting lineup change, because of Halliburton's minutes distribution, because of the defensive nature on all non-branded Miller players on the Charlotte Hornets, it did supply a lot of like, okay, maybe this is stuff they can build on or look at and say, here's how we can win going forward with the limitations that we have. And of course, the first win of the Indiana Pacers era where both Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton were active. How about that? It's crazy that it took this long. It's February. The trade was on, I think, January 17th or something. But it finally happened, and now they can try to stack them consecutively with an easier schedule. Hint, that is what we'll be talking about to close out today's show. Plenty more to talk about from this game. Some bench performances. Uh, lots of interesting little notes from throughout the game as the Pacers are now 28-23. and 23. Before we talk about any of that stuff, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest. Big or small, certain things can really start to get to you. It's important to let that out, especially to someone who's unbiased on your life. So today, I want to say how I really feel about something. You might even be thinking the same thing. If you're not a Dodgers fan, hopefully you agree with me. I am very unexcited for the upcoming MLB season. I think the Dodgers are going to be spectacular in a way that might not be very fun. Maybe it'll be awesome, and maybe they'll just be a blast to watch. Clayton Kershaw is one of my favorite players. But I'm really going to be intrigued by how baseball looks this season with such a stacked team. Phillies don't really feel like they have a chance. Either way, that's what I wanted to get off my chest. And therapy can be different for everyone because most of us have bigger problems than our favorite sports team. And it's important to get things off your chest every once in a while. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. So visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockedOnNBA. We are also going to talk about the lovely folks over at LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else, and LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is so easy. 
when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86%, that's a lot, of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn's constantly finding ways to make the process easier. You're wearing a lot of hats. They make it all quicker. Two and a half million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. You should be next. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We are back here on Locked On Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. If you're interested about what a specific team could do heading into the trade deadline, jump on over to that show's Locked On podcast. Their host will have plenty of great things for you. I think I already told you to talk about the Rockets-Grizzlies trade this weekend, but if I didn't, or if you didn't notice that, go check out Locked On Rockets or Locked On Grizzlies. Former Pacer Oladipo on the move again. Also, if you missed it and you're here and wondering, why aren't you talking about the Kings game on Friday? I already did because of a bonus weekend show. Talked Kings by myself and Tyrese Halburton's minutes restriction. And then Philip Rossman-Reich of Locked On Magic and I talked about two ascending East teams, little trade stuff, lots of fun stuff about when to go for it as a growing team. Good conversation. Today we keep talking Charlotte Hornets. Pacers win 28-23 and 23 now. Losing streak is over. Schedule's lightening up. Not only was the starting lineup good, bench was good enough. <laughs> Let's be clear. Good enough. The specific all five bench guys lineup in McConnell, Matherin, Smith, Toppin, Heald was minus six, but a lot of mixing and matching groups did well. In fact, that minus six group was by far the worst group for the Pacers. They only had one other lineup that was minus five, and it was the bench with Aaron Neesmith in uh, instead of I can't even <laughs> read quick enough, instead of Matherin. So uh, not awesome there, but something significant happened in this game beyond the lineup changes and the bench doing well. And that is, for the first time since they've had Halliburton on this minute's limit, they had both of their point guards at full capacity, right? In the past, this part of the struggle of what they've been doing is they'd get to the fourth quarter, they wouldn't have Halliburton, and Andrew Nemhard would have to play the whole fourth quarter because TJ McConnell was sick. Or, you know, and then they played the Kings, and Nemhart had been burnt out from playing 37 minutes three games in a row and like three and four nights. So they played McConnell and started him. They only played Nemhart, what, six seconds in that game, right? They hadn't had both. So come fourth quarter time, they were losing a lot of production there. They finally had both this time, and they played 27 minutes of Andrew Nemhart and 21 minutes. That's like a full game worth of minutes for both those guys of point guards that weren't Tyrese Halbert, right? That's important to be able to do that. And it helped that the starting lineup was good. But having McConnell back, you know, I still think he's like a little sick, but apparently he felt a lot better today. They were talking about that on the broadcast. He had four points, six rebounds, seven assists. He did have a lot of turnovers, which was uncharacteristic of him, certainly. But um, that was really needed, right? The fact that they had stable ball handling play all night is something that they've been lacking uh, significantly, really, since uh, this whole things started, right? They had those guys played pretty well when Halberton was totally out, but since he returned from the injury and they've had him on this, you know, low 20 minutes plan, it's been really tough for them to kind of get this going, especially when Matherin was out too. They did not have enough ball handling. Now they have everybody back and you could really tell what kind of value that had. Matherin had a weird game because his stat line doesn't look that good. He was 4 for 12 from the field for 14 points. But he, his points were kind of significant in that the bench was not doing a good job scoring besides him. And he got to the line a lot. He had a third of the Pacers free throws. He was actually pretty important. And he finished plus three. He's been playing better of late, I think. Uh, Jalen Smith, again, a significant game with his 10 points off the bench. Buddy Heald just got to make a shot. 
at some point. They because it's more significant now to think about Buddy Hill's minutes when they're fully healthy because Ben Shepard did not play in the rotation of this game. That was the consequence of them being fully healthy. I get this might be an unpopular opinion amongst fans right now. I would play Buddy Hill over Ben Shepard in the fully healthy Pacers rotation, but at some point he has to make shots or else that will not be reality for the Pacers. And he was one for four in this game. He made a three in the first half, but he had two, the first two threes he took, he really took his time and thought about it. And I thought, man, that is not how Buddy Heald shoots normally. Very surprising. Very surprising to see it like that. So in general, they had a lot of good performances amongst some weird stuff, but the biggest takeaway from the Pacers specifically is here's what fully healthy they can do to mitigate the, the issues they have with the minutes restriction for Halbert. And that's still the biggest story around the team right now because Siakam looks more integrated to me, right? Him and TJ McConnell had this really nice connection in the second quarter where you could tell, like, okay, they figured out, like, where Siakam's cut timing is and how to get him the ball in the best spots and who to score over, right? You can tell recently he's played 10 games now. They've, they're figuring him out a bit, right? It's helping Miles Turner. It's clearly helping Aaron Neesmith. That's working better. But the, they still couldn't quite get all their lumps figured out. And, you know, I have a quote in a recent story from Ben Matherin about, you know, like when Halliburton's on this minutes restriction, some guys have to be more aggressive at times and less aggressive at others. And they have different lineups and they're trying to accomplish different goals. And like they have to do that because of this. It's only 14 weird minutes, really, per game. But Halliburton's slightly less effective. He was really patient in this game. He didn't really get going until late in the second quarter. And their lineups are all different and unique. So that's still the biggest story to me is how they kind of figure that out. Having all the resources available to do it, all the extra guards being healthy, their bench unit being whole, that made it a lot easier. <laughs> like every lineup they had on the floor made sense, right? There wasn't some, and sometimes this is gimmicky and sometimes it's effective, but like there wasn't Siakam at the three in a big group or Siakam at the five or like both point guards are on the floor or no point guards are on the floor. Like sometimes those guys have gone fine for the Pacers in this stretch, but sometimes they haven't, you know? Oh, we're hoping Ben Shepard and Buddy Heald can handle the ball enough in the fourth quarter today. You know, none of that. Now that they're fully healthy, that was a key takeaway to me as well. And we'll see what that lasting impact can be when they play, again, more serious teams later this week. But that was important, I think. And to see that starting five do well while also having that, there was never a lineup on the floor that I was like, I need to immediately note <laughs> this group was in there for this stretch. Like, oh, Halbert entered the game in the second quarter with two rookies, right? Like, that was pretty weird. So... They, they had bad stretches in this game compared to their best, but they were still like up 10 and, and keeping the Hornets at arm's length because of all that. And their depth advantage was back and it just made everything way easier. So even with the bad start to the second half, even with Brandon Miller going crazy, he was amazing in the second half. He can make me look dumb for having him fourth or fifth. I can't remember uh, among the guys in this draft. He's been really great this year. 35 points. They still were able to just crush the Hornets who are banged up. Uh, and that's what they needed. Pascal Siakam, fantastic. Uh, Andrew Nemhard back in the starting five. Tyrese Halberton getting his minutes in. The key takeaways for the Pacers. And their defense got it done. I think that's the last thing to talk about here. I alluded to it earlier. Allowing 99 is nuts. They've only been under 110 allowed like six times this season. And they got a team under 100. Hornets shoot 39.8% from the field. Lowest of any Pacers opponent. They only turned it over 10 times. They got 11 offensive rebounds. They took 25 free throws, right? A lot of stuff that says they should have had at least an okay offensive night, but the Pacers contested shots and made them uncomfortable, even if they had lots of chances. 88 shot attempts for the Hornets and more free throws. They did a pretty good job in the possession battle against the Pacers in this game, but the Pacers actually defended pretty well and were contesting. And yes, the Hornets aren't that talented, but 
They've been even recently with this level of banged up, well over 100 in many of their recent games. So credit to the Pacers for holding them to 99. They scored 106 against the Hornets, or against the Thunder, excuse me, on February 2nd, 110 against the Bulls, 122 against the Jazz. You know, one they beat that Carl Anthony Towns 62-point game with 128 in late January, right? They've had some nice scoring nights of late, and the Pacers were able to slow them down. So Pacers get it done. New formula. They're getting healthy. We'll see how long that lasts. But this could be something for them to build off of with their many, many successes in this game. We have to close this out with something that I would like to share with you that I think is important, and that is perhaps the biggest reason to be optimistic about the Pacers for the rest of the season. January's done, and they actually did pretty well, 10-7 and in January. Their schedule gets way easier now. And I've been talking about this for a while, but I'm finally going to break it down numerically and with words and data and and stuff to make it make sense. So let's close out today's show by talking about the biggest reason to be optimistic about the Pacers for the rest of the season. Before we do that, though, we got to talk about LinkedIn because it's Super Bowl week. Happy football to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you were like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about getting the best spot on the couch. It's my little indented seat because I sit there every time. You get your favorite snacks and you watch your friends have a great time placing some super bets. The game, the food, the commercials, everything's a blast. And FanDuel can make it even more fun. They have so many ways for you to end your season with a W or two or even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for things like how many points will be scored in the game or which players are going to score a touchdown and so much more. New customers on FanDuel. If you join today, you'll get $200. That's a lot. in bonus bets if you place your first bet of $5 and win it. So just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get that offer and sign up. Again, $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And we're back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Listen to Lockdown Hornets. Hear about the loser side of this. And Brandon Miller's fantastic run of play recently. Spectacular. Over 20 points a ton. I thought the key matchup of this game was going to be Brandon Miller versus whoever started at two for the Pacers. Uh, and that proved to be right, but not for the reason I thought it would. He was spectacular. No one else for the Hornets was. Uh, let's talk about the Pacers' schedule for the rest of the season. I've talked about the schedule twice this year, and that is before two cushy parts that the Pacers needed to take advantage of. One they did, one they did not. We're going to do it again today. And I have way too many notes about this. So let's just dive right in. They just played the Hornets. Right, they played the Knicks in their first game of uh, February, and that's when their really like really tough stretch of schedule ended. So after after that Kings game, they lost Friday. It's Charlotte, Houston, Golden State, then New York, who's tough. Then Charlotte, Toronto, Detroit, Dallas, Toronto to close out February for the Pacers, and they also have San Antonio, Dallas, Orlando, Chicago, Brooklyn, like right after all that. That gets you to like mid March, right? So I can just read through that, and you can go, wow, that sounds pretty easy. Let's actually put some stuff to it. Let's put some substance and numbers behind this. So here, here are some teams that the Pacers are done playing this season. The Boston Celtics, the best team in the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks, the second best team in the East. The Denver Nuggets, the reigning champs. The Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. The Philadelphia 76ers, who maybe that's not that good to not be playing them anymore. They had to play Joel Embiid twice, but they beat them twice. right? That is great. They're done with all those tough teams and they have the fewest games left tied with a couple teams but still of any team in the league at 31 most teams are at like 33 or 34 right now 
Tankathon has this feature, and we'll talk about their actual strength of schedule in just a second, but it lists your five toughest opponents for every team for the rest of the season. And, you know, every team's got Boston on there and like Minnesota and, you know, Oklahoma City. The Pacers have OKC in Minnesota. The Pacers' fifth toughest opponent by win percentage right now for the rest of the season is the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> They're the only team that has the Pelicans in their toughest five opponents left. Every, no one else has the Pelicans. Everybody else has five harder opponents by difficulty, right? That They're the only team that has New Orleans there, which is just bananas to think about. And their easy opponents are still a plenty, which we'll talk about in a second, right? They have a, done a lot, a lot, a lot of the hard parts of their schedule, Right, they only play Miami one more time, and it's at home. They only play Miami, or excuse me, Minnesota one more time. It's at home. At New York's going to be tough for the Pacers. At Cleveland, at OKC, those are all tough for the Pacers. All the rest of their games against a top five team in either conference are either done for the season or in Cambridge Fieldhouse. That alone, everything I just said about the hard teams, says a lot. Now, let's talk about some of the easier side of things. According to that tankathon ranking I just had, which again is just raw. Let's flip, let's look at your opponents, let's see what their win percentage is. That's your strength of schedule for the rest of the season. The Pacers combined win percentage of their opponents for the rest of the year is 47.5%. That is the third easiest schedule for the rest of the season in the entire NBA. Right? That is a reason for optimism. They've done a lot of the hard stuff. So let's look at the teams outside the plan in each conference. There's 10 of those. And this 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 group does not account the Hawks who the Pacers play again at home and have they've done very well with the Hawks. And it does not count the Lakers, who are in the plan in the West, but also are not particularly great this year. Um, and they play them twice, so they have two home games of those three. So the Pacers have two more against the Pistons, who are terrible. Another one against Charlotte, who are terrible, but beat the Pacers once this year. They have three more against the Raptors, who are now tanktastic compared to the first time they played the Raptors. They have three more against the Nets, who could be tanktastic, depending on what their trade deadline looks like, and are not a particularly good team. They play the Spurs again. They play Houston again, and it's at home. Both of their Warriors games have not happened yet, and one of those will be at home. Warriors could be tough. Houston could be tough. You know, one of those Toronto or Tor or Brooklyn games could be tough. Whatever. You can cut through all that. That's 13 games I just described for the Pacers. Two Detroit, one Charlotte, three Toronto, three Brooklyn, another Spurs, another Houston, two Warriors. That's 13 games. If the Pacers win two-thirds of those games, which would probably be bad, that's nine wins in that stretch of 13 games. That's already nine more. That already gets them to last year's win total without accounting for any of the rest of their 22 games, right? So that is the reason for optimism for the Pacers for the rest of the season is their schedule gets way easier all of a sudden starting really yesterday for you listening or today for me talking on Sunday against the Hornets. That was the start of cushy time. The other way I could really describe this is the Pacers right now, as of uh, February 4th, are 28 and 23, right? They're over five games over 500. I ran through the schedule before the season and picked every game win and loss, which helps you see a lot of stuff, right? One of the back-to-backs, one of the difficult stretches, one of the travel things, all sorts of that. If you listen every day, you know how often I talk about this, right? And I predicted the Pacers would win 40 games this season, right? So I, th I thought by now they'd have 21 wins. They actually have 28, seven more. So if my prediction for their win totals for the rest of the season are correct, the Pacers are going to win 47 games. That's how much easier the rest is. I thought they'd be 21 and 30 right now. And instead, they're 28 and 23. They're obviously better than I thought. I, 
I'm obviously wrong about the team, but if just that alone shows you how much easier this gets, like their April schedule is laughable. They have one hard game in all of April out of seven, right? And they have an easy rest of their February. March can get a little rocky, like there's a stretch or two in there that's like, oh, that's kind of hard. But in general, the Pacers have to feel pretty good about getting through January with a good record, about rounding a little bit into form of late. They found some solutions, I'd say. They were close to New York. They were close in Boston. Yeah, their record's not great since this Yakum trade. But I think the schedule's about to get easier. They're five and six. Yakum trade is not so bad. Their schedule's about to get easier. They're reworking guys into the lineup. They're getting healthier. Things are looking up for the Pacers. There's one downside to the schedule I haven't said yet. The thing that for the the, the biggest storyline for the Pacers after the All Star break, I'll probably talk about this close to the break, is where is the standings in the East? How it's broken out, right? As it stands right now, the top five in the East look uh, pretty set to me, right? They they have separated themselves from the Pacers. The 76ers have fallen to fifth. They're seven games out of first. The Pacers are ten and a half games out of first. They're in sixth, right? So the Pacers are three and a half games out of fifth. The Pacers are, are four and a half games ahead of ninth, right? So there's clearly a tier the Pacers are in that's outside the top five, but above that yucky plan tier. And it's them, Orlando, and Miami, who, as it stands right now, are all separated by a game and a half. The Magic have won three in a row and are half a game behind the Pacers. So the biggest storyline non-schedule for the Pacers right now for the rest of their season is can they hold sixth? And just be in the postseason and potentially have an easier first round opponent. Can they avoid that 7 8 play in game and all that? That all can they avoid Boston in the first round, right? That's all very important is getting into the playoffs, obviously, but particularly getting six. So their easy schedule makes it sound great. Yay, they have an advantage there. Well, the team, I said the Pacers have the 28th easiest schedule remaining. Orlando has the easiest schedule remaining. They have two Pistons, three Hornets, one Spurs, one Blazers, and one Wizards left. And the Heat have the fifth easiest remaining schedule. They have three Pistons, two Wizards, two Blazers, and a Spurs game left. So the Pacers still have to take advantage of this schedule. They can't have any more of these losses. And this is the elephant in the room. They've already lost to the Wizards. They already lost to the Hornets. They lost the Bulls when they stunk. They lost to the Raptors. They lost to Blazers twice. They should not be given a pass because they have an easy schedule. But it is a reason for optimism, and they need to take advantage of it because the Heat and the Magic, who have not made a significant upgrade trade like the Pacers did, are right there, and the Pacers need to do everything they can to hold them off and get that sixth seed. We'll be covering all of it down the stretch here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. It's trade deadline week, and I just went 30 minutes without talking about the trade deadline tomorrow. That is a significant portion of what we'll talk about. Jimmy Cook from 1075 The Fan, frequent guest one of the great people in any sports media will be joining us to talk about maybe standing pat. Does that have value for the Pacers? What should they do if they don't want to stand pat? All sorts of stuff. Trade deadline related. We'll talk Rockets uh, on Wednesday. We'll talk trade deadline Thursday and Friday. Uh, so, yeah, lots of fun stuff coming there. Speaking of trade deadline Pacers chatter, if you're interested in hearing me talk, which I'm assuming if you're still listening, you probably are, I will be doing two live streams Talking Pacers trades this week, but not via this podcast. They'll be on the Bleacher Report app, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about it. One of them will be Tuesday at noon, uh, talking ahead of the trade deadline. The other one will be Friday at 12.30 p.m. after the trade deadline. What happened? What does it mean for free agency? All sorts of that stuff. I'll share links on my Twitter feed uh, where you can click and tap in live. And there's a chat feature so you can bother me and tell me what to talk about. I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't done anything like that with video ever in my life. 
Uh, and if you want to see that link or how you can hop in and listen to that, it's going to be on my Twitter feed. At Tony R. East is the best place to find me. And this podcast is on there, too. If you want to see what all the show topics are every single day, at Locked on Pacers is the handle there. Thank you all a ton for listening. Lots to talk about from the Hornets in the schedule. The rest of the week will be much more focused on trades with the deadline on Thursday at 3 p.m. Hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And we will see you soon.